Good morning. So good to see each of you here and uh, braving the weather, the rain, and, and uh, so thank you for making it out today. Thank you to all the folks who volunteered yesterday and our super duper Saturday. It's always fun to say super duper, and uh, so we had a good uh, time and, and uh, taught some children, and uh, thank you for all who participated in that. And uh, thank you to all of our visitors. We've got some visitors here today, and we're delighted to see you and to have you in our presence today. It's good to have Sister Anina back with us from her travels. I've got a buddy from high school here, Brother Jeff, and so, uh, uh, and then I've also got Brother Dave here from, uh, from years ago, so uh, it seems that my past is catching up to me. And, uh, but I'm all right with it. It's good to see old friends and it's good to be with you this morning. And today, we're going to talk about one of the most important teachings of Jesus and one of the most influential teachings of Jesus. Thank God for that. Because this is something that uh, has helped our world, this teaching of Christ. And I'm, I'm grateful that people know this story that He tells. And I'm thankful for the change that it has inspired in our world. And I hope that we can continue to tell this story and this teaching that Jesus gives us in Luke chapter 10. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 10, and we're going to be studying about the great, the Good Samaritan. But before we get into talking about this story, this parable that Jesus tells, I want to talk about a figure of speech called oxymorons. Now, I'm not talking about myself oxymorons. Oxymorons are interesting. It's a figure of speech that we all use from day to day, and it's, they're interesting because they are a combination of contradictory or incongruous words, words that seem to contradict each other, yet they make us think and we understand what they mean. Okay, what's, a, what's an example of an oxymoron? I'll give you one. It's one we all agree about. An honest politician. Right? Those two words don't go together. They don't. But yet we use it. Here's another one. Same difference. You ever heard that? Oh, it's the same difference. Well, those are two words that just don't go together, right? They're opposite. They contradict each other. Or what about act naturally? There's that song, that country music song, act naturally. How can you be natural if you're acting? They don't go together. They contradict each other. Here's one that you use in your mealtime. I like it kind of bittersweet. Bittersweet. Or maybe an experience in your life, it was a bittersweet moment. Well, which was it? Was it bitter or was it sweet? Well, it was both somehow. Bittersweet. How about this deafening silence? We say things like that. The sound of silence. Paul Simon said it like that. The sound of silence. Well, what does silence sound like? It's the absence of sound, actually. Here's one for you seafood fans. Jumbo shrimp. Jumbo shrimp. Wait a minute. Jumbo shrimp. Two different words there. Two different meanings. True myth. It was a true myth. Those things are incongruent. They contradict each other. 
Or as Charlie Brown liked to say, good grief. Remember? Good grief. I don't like grief. How can it be good? Or you go look into your freezer and you say, something's been freezer burned. Well, how can a freezer burn something? But we say it. Or, I hurt my leg and I need some icy hot on it. Which is it? Is it icy or is it hot? Have you ever witnessed really a civil war? Is there any civility in war? But yet we say it. Or, I I thought I preached a good sermon, but you clearly misunderstood it. Clearly misunderstood. Was it clear or did you misunderstand it? And here's, the, here's something that you don't want. I, I had a working vacation. Does anybody want to go on a working vacation? No, I try to avoid work when I'm on va- vacation. Or I had a minor catastrophe. A catastrophe isn't very minor, is it? But there's one that we say all the time that's rooted in the Bible. And we take it for granted. And it's really an oxymoron. It's it's something that for the first century Jewish person, they wouldn't have put the words together. And it's this, good Samaritan. We say it all the time. And when we say it, it's a compliment. When when you say, that person, man, they were really, they were a good Samaritan. Someone says, thank you. But for the first century Jewish person, they did not look at a Samaritan as good. In fact, fact, they thought a Samaritan was inferior. That's the way they thought of them. But yet we say over and over again in in our culture, good Samaritan. They were considered inferior because of their lack of genetic purity. You see, a Samaritan was a Jewish person who had intermarried with the Assyrian people. And for a good Jew, they looked down upon Samaritans. And so, good Samaritan did not go together. They didn't want to be a Samaritan. And yet we take this for granted in today's culture. I want to talk about the story because stories are important. Stories are so important. Stories are powerful. I've had the the honor and the privilege to get to visit with an old friend. And guess what we've been doing? We had not seen each other in 20 years. We have been telling each other stories about what's happened since we last saw each other. When you go home for Christmas, when you see someone that you haven't seen, when you see your family, what do you end up doing? You end up telling stories because stories are who we are, isn't it? Stories are important. And what I want you to know today is is that God is inviting you into His story. We're all a part of His story, but sometimes we don't even know it. But God wants you to know you're in His story. He wants you to experience His love, His true love, His true story of redemption. And Jesus was the greatest storyteller of all time. His stories have impacted and changed the world. He says, He who has ears, let him hear. 
Listen to the stories of Jesus and it will change you fundamentally. Because when you hear His stories, you have to confront who you really are. You will find yourself in His stories. And sometimes you're not always the hero in the story. You will also confront the truth. You will confront what you really believe in His stories. He will also confront you with the experiences of other people. And you have to come into the story with some empathy. He welcomes you into the story of people who are hurting. He also confronts our prejudices. And do we have those? There's prejudices in this room. There's prejudices within my heart. And when I read the stories of Jesus, it confronts those prejudices, those stereotypes, those unfair judgments that we have in our minds and in our hearts. And we come to understand with God, it says, there is no partiality with God. No partiality. He is no respecter of persons. But when we look into our own hearts, when we gaze within our own selves, sometimes we find a darkness there. So turn over to Luke chapter 10 and listen to one of the greatest stories ever told. It starts, it begins in verse 25, and behold, a certain lawyer, a certain lawyer stood up and tested him, saying, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life. Stop. Is that not the most important question that there is? What shall I do to inherit eternal life? He begins, the lawyer begins with the best question that you can ever have. The most important question. What must I do to be saved? What should I do to inherit eternal life? Sometimes Christians get accused of being in love with death. Maybe because we don't fear death. A Christian Christian in faith does not fear death at all. Because we know that when we die, to be absent from the body is presence with the Lord. But let me tell you something. A real Christian loves life. Loves living life. Because ultimately, Jesus is life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And so Christians aren't in love with death. They're not in love with finality. We're in love with life. We want to live because God is the one who's created us to live. And this is eternal life that they may know that you are the true and one living God in Jesus Christ whom you sent, John 17, 3. So he asked this great question, but he has ulterior motives with the question. It says that he's trying to tempt him. He's trying to test him. So Jesus asked a question back. What is, the, what is written in the law? He's a lawyer. He should know what it says, right? What's your reading of the law, it says? And listen to this. He gives the perfect answer. He gives the right answer. So he answered and said, You should love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. That's the right answer, isn't it? 
And in fact, Jesus even said that that was the answer in Matthew 22, 37, and 38 when he was asked. The lawyer had the right answer. But you know what? He had the wrong life. He had the wrong heart. And sometimes we as Christians can have all the right answers but have the wrong heart. And this guy knew the Word. This guy understood the Word, but yet he had the wrong answer in his life. He had the right answer in his mind, but he had the wrong life. Listen to what he does. It says, And he said to him, You have answered rightly. Jesus says, You got it. Do this and you will live. But he wanting, listen to this, to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Isn't that what we do? We try to justify ourselves. When we're confronted with the truth, we either obey it, or we try to rationalize ourselves out of it. Because if you have to love your neighbor as yourself, that means something. That means that you have a responsibility. That means that you have an obligation. So he said, hey, I need to justify myself here because if we, if we stop there with me loving my neighbor as myself, then I'm not doing a good job of that. Who's my neighbor? Because I want to know who I'm, who's not my neighbor. Right? Because I don't want to have to love everybody. Because that means I have to do something for everybody. So Jesus begins to tell this story that's so very interesting. Listen, a certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves who was stripped of his clothing, wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. That way that they talk about, that way from Jericho, from Jerusalem, was treacherous. It was notorious for danger, for difficulty. It was known, in fact, as the way of blood. It was a place where people were robbed periodically. It was a place of peril. They stripped him of his clothing. They wounded him, leaving him half dead. And Jesus says, you've got to love your neighbor as yourself. So the answer to the question is within ourselves, right? If you were wounded, half dead, on the road, what would you want from somebody? You would want help, wouldn't you? So the same answer that you need and you would know Love thy neighbor as thyself. The answer's there, isn't it? That when you see someone wounded, when you see someone hurt, you're obligated as a neighbor to help them, to love them, just as you would want their help, just as you would want someone to help you. That's the answer. It's within ourselves, within our experience. It's not some high theological thought. We don't have to write some major paper on it. It's easy, isn't it? How would you want to be treated if you were hurt and wounded on the road? Love thy neighbor as thyself. And here come the religious people. Here comes the preacher. And I'm talking to myself. Here comes the priest. What happens? A certain priest came down the road and when he saw him, 
He passed by on the other side. He saw it. He saw the hurt. He saw this poor man. But where did he walk? Way on the other side of the road. He got some distance in between him. Then comes a Levite, someone who had some good, some good genes, good stock, comes by and he sees the man. And where does he go? He goes, whoa, over on the other side. Well, we start to judge the religious people here in the story. We look, well, they're, they're pretty bad, aren't they? But what would we have done? There was a fascinating story that sociologists did with seminary students. And it was actually titled Jerusalem to Jericho. They titled this study. And what they did was they, they got these seminary students and they did an experiment with them. It's called the, the Darley and Batson study. And it's fascinating because they had these seminary students and they even talked about the Good Samaritan to them. And they said, we want you to talk about being a minister and... and and we, we got you a place to go speak and, and you got to go across the campus to go talk to these people. And on their way across the campus, they see a man that's hurting, calling out ministers in training. And what they did was they, they changed the variable each time. And what they did was they, e- they either hurried the person or they didn't hurry them at all. So one seminary student, they said... You need to get over there right now. Hurry up. So the guy was walking over there. And guess what? The people who were in a hurry stopped less than the people who didn't. So a lot of times we can stand over here and say, you know, I'd be like the Good Samaritan. I would stop. But how many of us are in such a hurry in our life that we never even look to begin with? And in fact, it came down to this. 63% of the people who weren't rushed, they stopped. 60%. But when they were medium rush, it was 45%. But when they were in haste, when they were rushed, only 10% stopped to help the guy. Do we live hurried lives? Do I live a hurried life? I, I was late. I might be late to my own funeral. <laughs> But what, who's the hero? It goes on to say, But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him... Here's the difference. Here's the difference. Here's the big difference between the Samaritan and everybody else. He had compassion on the man. He loved his neighbor as himself. He saw the hurt. He saw the need. And it moved him. It changed him, and he did something about it. When it says, love thy neighbor as thyself, there is no qualification on who that neighbor is. It doesn't say that neighbor needs to be white. It doesn't say that neighbor needs to be straight. It doesn't say that that neighbor needs to be a Christian. It doesn't say that neighbor should be a church member a rich person, a poor person. It just says, love thy neighbor. So whoever it is, that's who you're supposed to stop and help. Is that a challenge? Is that tough? 
Here's another oxymoron, tough love. That's tough. Because there's something inside of me that says, I don't want to help those kind of people. I'm different from those kind of people. I'm better than those kind of people. I don't have to love those people. And all of a sudden, our prejudices come front and center in the story, don't they? Because the Samaritan was of a different stock than the priest and the Levite. All of a sudden, our prejudices about religious people and who's not religious or who's religious or religious enough comes into practice, doesn't it? Comes into view. And even our prejudices, listen to me, about the people who are in need. Because sometimes we have a bad prejudice against people who are in need. And somehow we got it into our heads that some people actually deserve to be in need. But yet Jesus says, love thy neighbor as thyself. And there was money involved. The Samaritan dug in his pockets and dug out money and paid the innkeeper, denarii it says. You have three attitudes about money in the story. They're real simple. You had the attitude of of the robbers, which is what's yours is mine. You had the attitude of the priest and Levite, what's mine is mine. And then you had the attitude of the Samaritan, what's mine is yours. Love thy neighbor as thyself. And what it comes down to, brethren, is that it takes an immense courage to love people. It does. Because you open up your heart. You open up your life. You open up to your your wallet. And it takes courage to love people because you might get hurt. Because they might not do what you want them to do. Because they might not repay you. Winston Churchill said it like this, courage is rightly considered the foremost of virtues because all others depend on it. If you don't have the courage to do the right thing, it doesn't matter that what the right thing is because you don't have the courage to do it. It takes courage to love people who are in need. It takes courage to love your neighbor as yourself. Listen to the response of the guy that asked the question, the lawyer, smart guy, Jesus says, well, which one do you think was the good neighbor? Which one, you th- which one was the neighbor? My question is, which one would you want to be your neighbor? And the man says something very interesting. He says, he who showed mercy on him. He didn't even say the Samaritan's name. He didn't want to say the Samaritan's name because he knew that prejudice against the Samaritan was there where he couldn't even utter his name. Couldn't even talk about the Samaritan. No, it was the one who had mercy. And we're really good at using our language sometimes to not get across our true meaning. And he said, hey, it was the guy who showed mercy. I can't even say it was the Samaritan because something here in my heart. I don't want to say it. And Jesus said, hey, go and do likewise. Go love people. Go help people. Go see the need and help the need. Have the courage to love. 
There's one other Samaritan I want to tell you about because sometimes we don't call him the good Samaritan. There's another good Samaritan in the book of Luke. And we don't always call him that. There was a time in Luke chapter 17 where some lepers, ten lepers, and they came to Jesus. They were hurting because leprosy was, the, is, was pretty much the worst thing that you could be stricken with. It was this disease that just wrecked your looks, wrecked your health, and everybody knew you had it. And in fact, if you walked down the road as a leper, you had to tell everybody before you even got to the... Hey, a leper's here. A leper's here. Think about that. And everyone fled and ran from you. You lost everything. You lost your family. You lost your synagogue. You lost everything. And these ten lepers, it says, when Jesus passed, stood afar off. And they asked Him, they said, have mercy on us. Have mercy. And Jesus said, go to the priest and be cleansed. And they went to the priest and they were cleansed. And then one came back. And He glorified God with a loud voice and He said, thank you. And it said, He was a Samaritan. He was a good Samaritan. You know how many blessings God has blessed you with? Do you know how much God loves you? He's blessing you right now. He's blessing you every day. He's... He has the power to heal leprosy. He has the power to heal us from our brokenness, from our sin, which is much worse than leprosy. And there's so many people who have never returned to say thank you. There's so many people who have never returned to worship like that good Samaritan did. So I want to tell you what the greatest oxymoron is. You know what the greatest oxymoron is? Life without God. Life without God, that is the greatest oxymoron because you can't have life without God and in Him we move and live and have our being, but yet there's so many people who live in denial of His blessing, live in denial of His love, live in denial of His existence. And that's the greatest oxymoron, to be alive and not to know God. To not to obey God, to not to love God and to love our neighbor as ourself. Will you be a good Samaritan? Will you say thank you? Will you worship Him for all the blessings and gifts that He's given you? Will you be a good Samaritan and help those who are in need? That's the life of a Christian, isn't it? It's not easy. It's a challenge to love people, but that's the story that Jesus tells us. That's the story of Jesus. The way we begin that story, the way that we enter into the story of God is to first to believe. To believe that He is. To know that He is. To understand that He is. And then to understand that there's something within me that argues with God. And that's sin. And I need to turn from that sin and turn wholly to Him. To surrender to Him. My will to Him and repent of sin, confess Him to be the Son of the living God, and be baptized into His body, the church, and to encourage one another. This morning, if you have never named Jesus as Lord and Savior, we want to invite you. Or if you have a prayer or a need,
We're going to sing this next song to sing with you, to encourage you. So if you have any need, won't you come now as together we stand and as we sing.